All right, Kamal, I think we're at three minutes past. We can uh, hop in. All right. Welcome, everybody who's joining live and to those who will be listening in later. This is the 16th space in a weekly series called Adopting Bitcoin Conversation Galoi. We're here to hold discussions with thoughtful Bitcoiners about Bitcoin and Lightning adoption and about, and about, about enabling communities and institutions to use Bitcoin as money, which is our mission at Galoi. So today our topic is living under double-digit inflation. Inflation itself is becoming a hot topic worldwide and even in mainstream media after central banks abused their money printers even more excessively than usual during the last two years. Prices are rising. United States and European Union even are reporting high inflation numbers. And uh, those are expected to continue with now supply chain issues uh, added on top caused by the war in Ukraine. But inflation has gotten even worse in other parts of the world before the war and before the um, pandemic, like in emerging markets. And in some places, it's even like a chronic disease and has become part of daily life. So today we have two guests with us who have experienced high inflation environments firsthand. And I welcome Suli and Marco from Bitcoin du Luba. Hi, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Hi. Yeah, seriously, thank you for having us too. Awesome, awesome. Before we jump into things, uh, could you please uh, tell a little bit about yourselves, what you do um, in, in the space around Bitcoin, how you found to Bitcoin maybe a little bit, and uh, then we can, we can jump into the topic. Since Marco started first in Bitcoin, I'd like him to start and then I'll follow. You know, actually, I'm a bit rusty on, on the spaces and uh, being public. It's been a while I haven't been in touch with anyone. But oh, first of all, thank you for having me here. And it's great to be with Sully uh, on a podium. Anyways, um, I'm a founder of Bitcoin du Liban, which is the first and the biggest educational portal or hub, we can call it a place, community, uh, educational. Let's just focus purely on Bitcoin and spreading Bitcoin awareness. Uh, we've been, we launched in 2019 and we've been growing strongly since ever then. I personally, um, like any most Bitcoiners, basically, I went through a journey of being a person who's trying to get rich, then uh, looking into shitcoins, being a pure shitcoiner, maximalist. And now, luckily, I'm being a toxic uh, Bitcoiner. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, who hasn't had that journey? It sounds very familiar. <laughs> Suli, what about yourself? Um, you want the, the whole story or just the Bitcoin story? Uh, because for me, um, I understood Bitcoin just because what I've seen in life before Bitcoin. Um, first, just for to be to be clear, um, I'm born and raised in Lebanon, um, and then I was fortunate to move to Europe in 2014. And before moving to Europe, I was working in the development and humanitarian sector. During, started with the with the war on Lebanon in 2006, and then I dived into emergency management and disaster risk reduction, and working with UN agencies and international NGOs. I was in close uh, coordination and cooperation with the with the ministries from education to environment to agriculture to defense, etc. And I had uh, hands-on corruption or not experience exposure to uh, activism, corruption and activism, but also corruption at governmental levels when you're trying to do something for a good cause and how things go, etc. That's like the proof of work of humanitarian um, sector. And then after moving to Europe in 2014, my fiat job 
covered the Middle East and Africa for uh, mainly the tech and IT sector for different uh, markets. And then I got into Angola. Uh, it's a southwestern African country that witnessed uh, a crazy inflation seven years ago. So that was my first inflation experience because like afterwards I discovered that my own country had passed through inflation now, but since since the the 80s, basically. Um, and then uh, 2016, I started trading, investing in uh, traditional financial markets, um, just tiptoeing and like discovering the, the waters of investment. And then I started hearing about uh, Bitcoin in 2016. Uh, back then, being in Europe, I had obviously a bank account and a Lebanese bank account. And I did not go use my Lebanese bank account just because the Central Bank of Lebanon had announced in 2013 that it was against any cryptocurrency related investments. And actually some banks did close accounts of people who invested or traded in crypto back then. So in 2017, I started hearing more about Bitcoin and back I only knew Bitcoin as a, as a, as an asset being in the, traded in the market. I had no clue what Bitcoin was back in the day. Um, but like any sane investor, you should notice, and I noticed that Bitcoin was leading all the other cryptocurrencies. And I started wondering, okay, now it means like if it's dipping so much, it's been functioning for so long. Back then it wasn't that long, but still, um, let me, we, I need to go in. And I invested in Bitcoin. I started in January 2018, which wasn't the, back then I thought was too high, um, using my European bank account. Um, and then fast forward to 2019, um, 2020 with Corona, all that period, all my friends, family, no one had clue about Bitcoin either. Mentioning something like so out of the box for some reason, just because I was away, I haven't been in touch with my family and friends like, like the usual. And uh, due to Corona being home, uh, I discovered that there is a huge Lebanese community that Marco had founded back then. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we've been uh, trying to cooperate uh, ever since. And yeah, one more point. Uh, I also, since, um, end of last year, I started uh, also working on Bitcoin with Swan Bitcoin, Swan Private, um, leading the MENA, the, the Middle East, North Africa strategy for Swan Bitcoin uh, in the region. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yes. Um, uh, interesting. So you have not been in Lebanon for quite some time then. Um, no, actually, uh, I've been there two months ago. Okay. Yeah, okay. I've, uh, I've lived it. And, and Marco is uh, currently still in Lebanon, I figure. Yeah, I'm on the ground. <laughs> You're on the ground. Okay. So um, I've seen, like, I've heard, like, I don't know how much, how long it's been, but I've seen pictures of very enraged people on the streets in Lebanon um, probably one year ago, even like uh, pictures of the central bank burning. Um, th that is a result, one result of a inflationary period that was very recent. Or can you give some context on that? I think these pictures uh, went around the globe quite a lot uh, uh, just some time ago. Yeah, I'll jump on that. Listen, I'll I'll be very honest the way I see it. Like currently, we have increasing inflation in Lebanon, and people are not going down the street. At the very beginning, people were outrageous because they lost 50, 60, 70 percent of their life savings. But by this period right now, any change uh, or increased inflation, it doesn't matter anymore. So at the very beginning of the 
revolution, let's call it, or the beginning of the inflation, yes, people were outraged, people were attacking banks, but now no one really is doing anything. Just quiet and just accepting the fact that they lost 95 to 96% of their savings. I mean, that's uh, that, those are devastating numbers. Um, um, but um, before we get into why they are why they have become so apathic uh, to what's going on. Um, can Musuli maybe give us a brief background about what led to the current economic crisis in Lebanon? Um, okay, and I'd like just to keep it economics uh, related. Um, basically, it's the same everywhere. Like uh, like many, many say um, that you would... Assume that your country, if you're having a stable country, you're not uh, witnessing any crazy inflation, that none of this is going to affect you or your currency. Um, I'm going to just, instead of like, just go at the beginning, just to show the indicators, like what happened in Lebanon, happened in Angola, happened in Venezuela, happened in Sudan, even uh, in Turkey. Um, when the banks start refusing transfer internationally, um, they will have less forex or uh, currency in their in their um, accounts. The local suppliers, any goods, stop being able to import goods because they won't be able to pay for whoever is exporting to them. The prices increase, and each person will then start to try and survive their own way, um, trying to really focus on their daily livelihood. Now, what led to this is long beyond these two years. Uh, when you when you started seeing these pictures were in 2019, but let's we need to go back to 90. Um, the early 90s, 1990, Lebanon um, got uh, out for war, uh, a civil war that lasted between 15 and 17 years, um, and just due, at the beginning of the war. One dollar was 2.6 liras, Lebanese liras, which is the local currency. Today, it's, I think, 22,000 something like that. Um, and then when the war ended, was a consensus among the war leaders under uh, the umbrella of uh, some uh, powerful countries in the, in the region, uh, agreeing that, uh, okay, you stop the war and uh, we need Lebanon to stabilize for the region. And when that happened, they, in 1993, they pegged the dollar, uh, the Lebanese pounds to the dollar. Uh, I think it was 15, 1,517 uh, liras to the dollar. So the, the, the Lebanese pounds was pegged to the dollar ever since. Now, being a country that is very small in size, Lebanon is about, uh, I don't know, in miles, square miles, how, how much it is, but it's uh, 10,000 uh, kilometers, square kilometers, which is like uh, a smaller than the tiniest states in the states, I assume. Um, and back then, we were 3 million, population, a population of 3 million. And even before the war, Lebanon was, didn't have like uh, a diversified uh, economic sectors. Like the three main sectors were non-existent except the, the third sector. Like the first sector is the, the agricultural sector, which was very basic. We were able to export back in the day to neighboring countries, uh, back to Egypt, Iraq, via Jordan and Syria. And that was relatively very small export amounts. And then on the second sector, which is the industry, the industry even before before the civil war was really very modest. There isn't there wasn't much happening. And the third sector, which is the services sector, was the focus of 
um, the recovery of Lebanon. So in 1993, when they, they had this consensus, they agreed that, okay, we're going to peg it. Okay, so the, the Ponzi started back then. Okay, the financial architecture of the central bank started in 1993 by doing the following. They initiated something called um, banking secrecy. So in the 90s, if anyone had opened, any foreign investor had opened um, a bank account in Lebanon, no courts go and know their financial details or look into the accounts. It was even stronger than Switzerland, okay, back in the day. So what happened is that there was an inflow of capital coming, especially from the Gulf, and we're talking, I don't know, billions of dollars, um, by which the reserves of the uh, Lebanese Central Bank really exponentially grew. Having politicians that were the warlords, uh, they didn't really, they were tempted by the corruption, I assume. That's my own view. And we didn't see like much efficient uh, management. So they didn't uh, look into diversifying the economy. They were like, they assumed, okay, the economy is fine. The third sector was like, uh, the banking sector is our strongest, but let's build on tourism. And then the tourism was built on the Arab country. The tourists from the Gulf, instead of going to London or Paris, um, they prefer to go to Lebanon because they speak the language and the Lebanese uh, are open-minded. It's true that we're in the Middle East, but we're like, we were like Dubai of the Middle East and even more open-minded, etc. Um, so over, we're talking until the late 90s, there has been projects of recovery, how to rebuild Lebanon, to rebuild the infrastructure. So, so we started to get loans through the IMF and other uh, international uh, donors uh, in order to build the country, the infrastructure, which made sense, okay? Um, unfortunately, the projects were inflated. A lot of projects haven't finished. And you said, we still have a bridge, by the way, that started being built like years ago. It still hasn't been finished. Uh, whereas the, all the invoices have been paid. And that's across all sectors. And that led to an indirect, no one was feeling the inflation, right? Um, but that led to the situation we got to in 2019. Now, before 2019, uh, there has been multiple events where the Lebanese um, uh, central bank uh, started uh, not having, like the, the reserves started decreasing, obviously, because um, when a donor gives money uh, and they don't see anything happening, the project's not being implemented properly, etc., um, the corrupt became more greedy and more uh, like not meeting their words. The donors stopped, stopped giving, uh, donating money uh, as before. At the same time, the, which the key thing is that you need to have a productive economy. Okay, that's the key thing. To have a productive economy, everything will fall. Be efficient. You need to be to have low time, etc., etc., etc. Now, none of that happened, and there was a built-up event until. Um, I think it was September, end of September or October 2019, uh, when there was a proposal by the government in order to raise more money. They wanted to tax WhatsApp. So every user having WhatsApp on their phone in Lebanon had to pay $6, if I'm not mistaken. That was the proposal. That was that is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the cherry on the cake. That was really the, the, the trigger for everything. Like it was the smallest domino that made the whole thing fall. And uh, the moment that was announced, there was activists on this. And yeah, you, 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 we started witnessing public unrest. But even back then, the, the, the currency hadn't free-fallen. 
like now. Okay, it took a few months until things really went uh, crazy. The banks closed. Imagine the whole country, the whole banking system closed um, from a day to another. When people tried, like, try to be diplomatic about reaching their accounts, or even companies trying to uh, access their funds or to pay suppliers, the the answer was like, "Sorry, we run a forex or foreign uh, currency." And this is when. This is how things um, really accumulated over time, and we reached the, to 2019. And these, the, the pictures you've seen were most likely from 2019, 2020. And um, I mean, that, those are crazy numbers that you mentioned uh, from $1 to 2.6 lira to, I think, uh, $1 to 24,000 lira. Is that correct? Yes, correct. That would be since the uh, 1980s, actually. It was 2.7, I believe. And then up to 1993, it became 3,000. And after that, it was back to 1,500 for, for, uh, since 2000, 1995 till 2019, basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, insane. And, and then probably the peg broke and... Uh, and everything went uh, downhill. But um, how do people, like you already mentioned, Suli, like import goods are more expensive uh, because they need to be imported and paid in foreign currency. And I figure, like, are, are those the ones that uh, uh, have higher consumers first? Or, like, how do um, normal people experience inflation um, and go up first? when such an episode starts. Okay, Tarek just at the end, he's right. He, uh, he asked me to mention that he, uh, we had, so basically before, sorry, I just to, to, to fill the, the gaps in the story that I just mentioned. At the beginning before, uh, so at the end, before the WhatsApp raised the tax, we had like four days of forest fires in Lebanon where uh, it was very, like one of the worst forest fires the Mediterranean had witnessed, the east coast of the Mediterranean had uh, witnessed, and no single planes uh, were able to support um, fighting these fires. And Lebanon, because like you have this rural community living by the these forests, we don't have like the, this amazing big green coverage, but the, the few forests that were left were burned. And that uh, made the, the whole social media, the whole public in Lebanon go outrageous and the tax came. So now when it comes to the goods, so what happens? What, what like we spoke about the, the banking uh, aspect of things. Now, how is it reflected on the people? Um, witnessing inflation now because of uh, you have two things in, in normal countries like the, the inflation in angola where suppliers cannot import goods as before they have to do is to price on the black market and they need to increase their prices to uh, import more goods right so this is one of the uh, economics one-on-ones where like the supplier needs to keep surviving market they can't survive on pricing the normal pricing, otherwise they won't be able to import goods. Um, but you can think of the pharmacists, for example. The farm some now Marco Marcos, by the way, is also a pharmacist. He's gonna tell you more about that. Um, but in Lebanon, what, because because when when we when we spoke about uh, the recovery after the Lebanese war, the there hasn't been any infrastructural uh, uh, projects where. Lebanon never had 24/7 electricity for example imagine for that for the past 20 we've been renting the, the Lebanese government have been renting power plants from Turkey or elsewhere renting these ships renting these power plants and paying for for diesel 
uh, to import diesel to fill these ships in order to generate electricity, which was like a, like really crazy. Um, and even then, the country didn't have 24-7 electricity. And I'm getting to your point, but this is related. Due to the fact that the country, the government wasn't supplying its country with 24-7 electricity, a mafia of electricity generators uh, started popping up like mushrooms. So now in every neighborhood, even before the inflation, even before these two years, for the past 20 years or even maybe more, every Lebanese have, has either uh, an electricity generator or they pay a monthly bill to the neighborhood's mafia guy who is giving the distributing electricity. And you cannot have two guys in the neighborhood. They're monopolizing all neighborhoods. So so with the inflation, so any, any Lebanese had to pay two bills, two electricity bills and two water bills because also um, we don't have uh, the right water infrastructure supplying or Lebanon. Even until today, in the capital, you, you have buildings that have to pay their own water that comes weekly. They, they get tanks, they, ha- they either have wells to, uh, in the ground or tanks that need to be filled on a, weekly, on a weekly basis. So that momentum of extra charges existed before the crisis. So when the crisis came, everyone went crazy just because, okay, the goods are increasing in prices, but also the daily livelihood is increasing in prices. Electricity is getting paid double and by the way because the the foreign uh, current the the forex at the banks are not available the syndicate of uh, um, stations or like whoever like imports uh, diesel to the country start stopped getting the same amounts of these the country so lebanon started getting fuel shortages in lebanon which affected not only the electricity power plants, but started affecting the water pumps and the different stations and started affecting the broadcasting antennas for telecommunications because these telecommunication companies, they have antennas and the antennas function on generators in rural areas. So it has like this uh, contagious effect across all sectors. And the Lebanese human, if he's uh, a normal person, He's barely keeping up with all these changes. And if you're a business owner, and I, I know that I have at least one of my friends here that has a, has a business in Lebanon where the business owners are now focusing on how to get diesel for their generators to keep running, how to get water, how to increase the salaries, but also how to price uh, daily because you have the price volatility. Anyway, I think Marco needs to take over. I think yeah, they need no, to don't worry. <laughs> you see, I'll tell you guys something very important. Uh, believe it or not, the first few inflation that was happening and there was increase in the in the or the break broken peg what happened in, in Lebanon. You 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 didn't see the inflation happening in the markets and the fuel. Uh, it didn't happen. Only the dollar on the market was increasing versus uh, versus our Lebanese lira. But why? Because every single item in Lebanon was subsidized. So it is correct, our dollar was broken, the peg. However, the government was trying its best to its maximum to keep the prices as they were before. So you can see that the market, you try to buy the dollar, it's more expensive. But the food and the fuel and everything was just as it was before. There was no change whatsoever for a few months. After that, they had to separate, like, like 
gradually started like taking off the pack from each items for example the fuel gradually uh, the telecommunications is still for example the same price but the flower and and uh, some selected items so selectively you could see that something just increased 10 times and other things were just the same price as before so it didn't really happen all of a sudden. It was just a domino effect, as Soli said. So all of a sudden, everything was failing. The water was failing. The communication was failing. Did we lose Marco? I think he said communication failure, and then he was gone. <laughs> um, Suli, can you hear us? Suli's coming back. He just hopped back in here. That was a timely uh, drop. Marco, can you hear us? So I, I exited and uh, went, joined back again. All right. And Marco seems to have lost his... At least we can't hear Marco. So if he wants to maybe try and leave or leave and come back, uh, we might get him in. Kamal was observing that the minute he said we lost communications, um, his <laughs> drop. By the way, Marco is living like... off the grid, like he has his own electricity, etc. So Marco, uh, I'm back. <laughs> the usual thing with the connection. Right. I don't know where I stopped, but the thing is about inflation in Lebanon. It didn't really show at the very beginning because every single item in Lebanon was still uh, kept at the old price of the peg. So the flour, the food, the common things, they kept the same price for a long time than anything or like uh, you, shop, you find that the, item, yeah. the subsidy was removed. It just popped like 10 times more. But the, the, back to the corruption, because of the corruption, for example, on the subsidy list, you can find like pistachio nuts or salmon. So the level of corruption in Lebanon, it was insane because instead of helping the poor people and give subsidies or keep subsidies uh, for the bread, for the for the basic necessities, they just moved and they shifted and they, and they subsidized things they like, not the things that people needed, like uh, salmon, for example. And um, I, I'm just wondering, you said there, the prices were kept like artificially at a low level. But if import prices for goods for a merchant um, increase, um, they have to adjust their prices, right? Uh, like, or how did government um, intervene there to keep prices low? Did they yeah. employ price controls or how did that? Well, it's pretty much simple. They, 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 as I said, subsidize everything. So instead of you buying the dollar uh, or from the Fed, you had to go for the central bank and buy the dollars from them. And medications, medications, for example, plays basically to everything. Flower, uh, uh, an ex-medication. Uh, we had to give the invoice to Bank du Liban, which is the central bank of Lebanon, and they will pay for us instead of us making the transfer. So that's and the rest will be covered by the central bank. But this caused a problem because they are selective they, and how they wanted to manipulate and control the price. So, for example, if the medication X or any certain item was not on the favor list, they would just say, you know what, uh, we will buy it later for you. Stay on a query list. If you have good connections and, and uh, you're well connected with someone or this is some kind of thing that they knew they need and they, they profit from it, they will let it the bank the, the du Liban and you get your invoices and get the fresh dollar at at rate whatever day you like. Yeah, um, interesting measures. Uh, so everything was basically subsidized until a certain point and uh, when they couldn't afford to subsidize anymore, they just chose like the political, the politicians chose the goods that actually they they personally preferred. Do I understand that right? Not just uh, yeah uh, regular goods like bread and water and whatever, but uh, rather luxury goods. Um, and is that right? That's absolutely Sorry. correct. 
That, that, that is the way it was. So, for example, as I said, smoked salmon was on the list of subsidized uh, items instead of basics in cities like baths for women, uh, for instance, or, or pistachio nuts were, were subsidized when we, we don't really need them at this moment. We want the basic necessities like milk. There was a shortage of milk, baby uh, supplies, all sorts of things were out, but you could find subsidized uh, luxury items. Yeah, got it. And how did people uh, react or to this? Like you have to, you have, those are like important goods and uh, that are needed for living. Like uh, uh, what, what tactics or like strategies do people develop under, under these uh, circumstances to, to survive? So, so let me tell you something about Lebanon. Lebanon has always been a jungle. So you always had to depend on yourself, not on the government uh, to provide yourself. This is the cool thing about third world countries. Because we live for many years under such conditions, we always had to find our own way to supply our own uh, ways to, to, to gather items and, and necessities. So you notice that a lot of peer-to-peer markets popped out, like baby milk, supplies, uh, healthcare supplies, anything that people had at home and they didn't need, and other people needed them, they just exchanged either for free or for just nominal prices. So a lot of P2P markets popped out for every single item you can imagine. And how did these markets coordinate? Like, how would I know who had what goods or how, if I had something spare that I could share? Like, how, how would I find uh, a buyer for that? They use WhatsApp, WhatsApp, Telegram, Facebook, any kind of media, Instagram. All right, so all, all the social media that. channels that are out there. Got it, got it. And what was like the reaction of the government when uh, to, to all of these? Like, did they have any proposals or uh, suggestions or promises how to make it better? And, and well, did any the of only, these help? The only, way the, the only way the government was... The only way government was trying to tackle those problems is to actually find the shops who increase the, 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 the prices, uh, blame it on exchange rates to those shops, exchange houses, and try to capture people just to blame on certain party or certain person. Well, actually, the government was not giving for the dollar and the traders or the importers were not able to import those items and they were blamed for it like the medical companies or pharmaceutical companies we were not able to import yet we were blamed that we are increasing the price and we're so greedy so so the government was deflecting basically the responsibility um, and not not being uh, taking responsibility for what's happening and Absolutely. blaming foreign powers uh, or whoever it is but not themselves uh, Always there... the case. Always the case. The zero accountability. They didn't take any blame for anything. It was always either one side or the other side fighting each other. And they always say it's because you have sanctions on the dollars. That's why that's what being punished for for being with someone. Let's say they always spin it in a way it's political. When actually you're broke. We are broke. You stole the money, and you're just giving us paper money for 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 nothing. Yeah, it sounds a little bit similar to what we're hearing right now from the uh, president of the United States, who is blaming uh, all sorts of issues like the pandemic and the war for the inflation. Does, uh, does that sound similar to you or do you it's think exactly that's exactly the same thing? But the problem is, I'll tell you the difference. What's actually scaring me. And and just to go back, to, I'll go back to this point in a sec. Many people have a nationality, European nationality. Many people ask me, why don't you go and leave Lebanon? If you asked me that three years ago, I was really eager to find a job in Europe or in the States, just go and leave Lebanon because it's a jungle. Now, 
after this, everything that's happening in, in Lebanon and around the world, I feel the Lebanon is the safest place to be because, as an example, <laughs> no, seriously, I'll give you an example. My uncle lived for past most of his life in America. He always said, like, you know what? In New York, if you shut down the electricity for three hours, it's going to be chaos, riots, and people will be robbing shops and, and doing all those kind of things. Look at Lebanon. We have 12 hours of no electricity, blackouts, and we're fine. And I always tell him, yes, you're right. Just because we're used to it and we already robbed what was supposed to be robbed. And we actually live with that and we get used to it. And this is the law of nature. You get used to it. But in a first world country where everything is supposed to be civilized and you have a big brother, let's say, that controls every single thing. And once it goes out of the control, you lose it. And it becomes really scary. So do you feel like um, Lebanon is ahead of the curve of what uh, is going to happen in other places? Uh, is that why you think it's you're, you're already through the valley? It, it sounds a bit like it. Yeah, precisely. Lebanon has been for past 20 years and we always try to manage with generators, with fuel, with food, with all sorts of, kind of things. We had to think, when when should I shower, for example? In the morning or at night, I had to make a schedule for myself to take a shower. Imagine that. In States or Europe, you just go, you don't really care. You don't have to plan for anything, those basic necessities. In, in Lebanon, you had to do it. So once you remove those things even further in Lebanon, we don't care. We will find a way to manage. Imagine yourself not having electricity for one week. What would you do in America, let's say, or Europe? You go insane. You wouldn't know how to live without electricity. Meanwhile, Lebanese, fine. I'll figure it out something. I don't even need it, probably. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Um, so we're 40 minutes into the space. So I, I would like to uh, use the opportunity to invite uh, potential Listeners onto the stage to ask uh, questions or add comments to Suli and what Marco have told. And uh, so please, if you want to come on stage, uh, just hit the request button. And um, so let's move a little bit uh, away from inflation and uh, look maybe towards the solution. And uh, my question here is like, um, you guys are Bitcoiners. And I know that, for example, we, we all know a very prominent uh, Lebanese Bitcoiner with Saifedean. Um, what's the impact on the ground of, of Bitcoin? Uh, is it known and why is it not more widely adopted or is it? Uh, is, is that also one of the grassroots counter strategies that people are employing maybe? Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on and, and how you see it uh, evolving? Wow, uh, okay. you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty much a sad story actually about when it comes to Bitcoin and Lebanon. Because every single person that's joining, let's say, the Bitcoin space or the crypto space for past one year and a half, they're joining just to make money. They're always trying to find a way to buy a shitcoin, trying to mine something, uh, get on staking platforms. They don't really care for the fundamentals why they lost their, their life savings and they're actually uh, depreciating vital value. Yeah, seems like um, Marco's connection is not uh, every single uh, stable. But can you hear me? Yeah, you cut off there. Please go oh, back. Sorry. Yeah. So I was saying, yeah, um, Lebanese people don't believe and they don't understand what's happening. Uh, and this is happening because of economical situation. They strongly believe due to me media and, 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 and all the political media and all the information that we've been fed, that this is only a political snap of a finger. Everything can be reset. Lebanese people believe that we are the center of the universe, that we are the necessity of the Middle East. And everyone cares for us, uh, want, everything's going to be back to, to square one. Meanwhile, actually, 
<laughs> we've been we've been kicking the can for the past 20 years even the back to you can go back to civil war we the 60s and i strongly believe that the whole thing that's collapsing of the currency was the first time the second time was done because of that and it was another ponzi scheme done 40 50 years ago uh, so the reason people don't believe or don't think about Bitcoin as a store of value or as a utility or something I can use to save myself and protect myself because they see the only way of getting money and, and trying to enrich themselves uh, by entering some shitcoin or staking platform or try to get into mining. They don't ask what happened. They don't search for the right, don't ask the right questions about the fundamentals of what's happening in Lebanon. Because as, as I said before, their only focus that everything that's happening right now is political issue, financial issue. Yeah, it's uh, f funny that, uh, how it's very similar. I live in Turkey and uh, we have uh, double digit inflation here too. And it's exactly the same thing that I'm observing here that uh, even though there are a lot of exchanges and, uh, and crypto is very big, everyone is just chasing, chasing basically that pumps like a lottery ticket that could basically be a ticket out of their the, the life that they're in like this uh, as if uh, inflation has eroded all hope and um, yeah it's uh, uh, interesting to hear that it's uh, similar in in Lebanon so we have now um, Tarek on stage hi Tarek hi everyone great great conversations and you know well reputed guys in the Lebanese community you have there uh, I, just, I just wanted to, to comment on, on one issue that, uh, that is at the core of, of the crisis in Lebanon, and that is something that had accumulated over the years. The thing is, Lebanon, even in the best of its times, when it was it used to be called the Switzerland of the, of the, middle, of the middle East, um, it depended heavily, heavily on, and only, by the way, not heavily, only on service economy. And service economy is the most easily corrupted uh, economic sector and the most vulnerable to to you know uh, things that are not uh, in the favor of people like what do you call it um, corruption and and the likes and so and so Lebanon had the best education right we had the best hospitals in the Middle East we had the best hotels casinos everything nightlife that was up until perhaps two thousand and nine and then things shifted why because we we became corrupt not we the people but i'm saying sometimes i doubt also because i think sometimes we the people are maybe corrupt as well but but yeah the politicians have lost and we have a lot of um you know unnecessary politics uh playing against us and that made us lose lose the the uh, uh the, the people who used to come to lebanon for its uniqueness and we shifted poles as they say now uh, and, and and also we cannot what's the solution there right what is the bright side the thing is that we cannot depend again on just service economy because we've seen that that doesn't work right we are great at at the uh you know agricultural sector but most of the valley and we know it's in the valley right this Lebanese hashish being grown by by uh you know the territorial leaders that you know maybe they're cooperating with government maybe not so but can we be industrial of course not because whatever amount you want to produce is just simply wouldn't scale because we have such a small market and we have still until these prices until you know up to the price of like twenty five thousand Lebanese lira for a dollar people are still importing chocolates like you know things from for the grocery stores that you can easily have them produced in Lebanon but producing them here would still not scale because we have two problems we don't have an extended market a territorial uh, sorry a, a, a 
uh, a land uh, access to other markets because on one side we on one side we had Syria and we have a lot of conflicts there and on the other side we have occupied Palestine and there's and there, we don't have access there because of the Israeli occupation and we cannot educate with with the, with people there or open the markets with them so we are we are closed in a, in a, in a loophole on ourselves but we have some of the greatest minds and you just heard some of them talk uh, we have the some of the greatest uh, open-minded people and well-cultured looking uh, p- people here in the country. It's 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 really it's really a, a small melting pot of a global of a global come think of it. And they have talents and skills. Now proper blockchain implementation, something similar like what Malta was trying to do, right? With less maybe uh, being less stingy in in their approach to cryptocurrency would be the best solution for Lebanon to correct its current stance or current position in the economic world. Having something where attracting or being able to develop a, a law or an act that encourages investors and not just focus on taxing people, but focus on attracting technologies, offering them things that do not require heavy infrastructure, like the simplest things, offices and some electricity. And you know what? I think in, in a couple of years, 90% of the Lebanese population will be on solar power. And uh, that's all you need, a proper law, proper implementation, and you have all the human resource factors to have one of the best blockchain cities in the world. And I can guarantee you that. And if you, if you listen more to Lebanese people talk on Bitcoin, I'm sure you'll ask that too. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Tarek. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, Suli and Marco have already said that uh, it, it's... Uh, that ships with uh, diesel uh, generators were delivering um, energy to Lebanon, uh, which sounds like pretty crazy. Like, why would why would you do that? That's so unsustainable. And uh, but I figure it must have been like all of that easy money that was flowing into the country that uh, turned uh, people or government to yeah such uh, short sighted solutions or. W- would solar be an alternative or what do you think? Let, let me jump on that. I'll tell you something. Um, it's actually the whole idea about the, the ships from Turkey, they were they were brought from Turkey, was a temporary solution for one, two years just to sustain Lebanon. Meanwhile, they're building the power plants. But, they are, but we've rented them for 10 years, over 10 years. And the amount we spent on rent, we could have built or two or three or four power plants. But the whole thing was just a corruption, a corruption scheme. So you got paid, just keep the ship. We're not going to make anything better. And just they, they, you know, pipe the money through it. And when it comes to solar, I personally, I went 100% off grid uh, around five months ago because I foreseen that we will have no electricity. I foreseen that the power and the, and the, and the fuel and diesel will go way more expensive. And luckily, I'm a Bitcoiner <laughs> uh, since 2017. Uh, I, I believe that was one of the best uh, Bitcoin spent ever into full solar off-grid uh, system that allows me to live, let's say, normally in this uncivilized place. Uh, it is a good solution, but the problem is a lot of people are taking advantage of, of the common plebs that they do not understand what is the solar and how it could be utilized. And a lot of people I'm here to buying the solar and they're actually failing at it and not really uh, building in a proper way. So even that certain point, people are taking advantages of other uh, plebs around us. 
So, Marco, you are also active in educating about Bitcoin in Lebanon. Uh, you, you have that initiative called Bitcoin du Liban. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what kind of initiatives you are doing? Like, how do you, how do you spread the word uh, in Lebanon? Uh, let me tell you how it started, because in 2017 or late 2017, when I joined the Bitcoin space, crypto space, uh, as many of us, I went through the journey of trying to get rich and, and being a shitcoiner. I found there was a need and necessity uh, for people to understand and to find the proper education, proper material when it comes to Bitcoin. All the communities that are available in Lebanon or were available before and the groups that they were existing Uh, none of them, none of them focus on Bitcoin. All of them were trying to give you fi financial advices. By this, this is going to pump. This is a new great project. But once I read uh, the Saifedeen's, uh, the Bitcoin standard, it really turned my life upside down. And I figured that we need, we need a place, uh, a safe place, a safe heaven for people to come and be, let's say, guided, not being told what to do and how you're supposed to live or what you're supposed to buy, but just to guide people into understanding the money. So the basic concept of, of uh, Bitcoin du Liban is to help people not to understand Bitcoin, but to understand the history of money. And the way we approach people is usually it's through uh, Twitter, MySpace, uh, I mean, uh, Spaces, uh, Clubhouse, any kind of media places. Uh, we're trying to reach out to people, but we don't proactively too much go out and try to attract people because automatically they think we are scammers and trying to attract you into Ponzi scheme. So it's kind of passive trying to get people who are interested and are willing to learn because if they're not willing to learn, believe it or not, they will not listen, not even a bit. Because the most common thing I get from people is like, can you explain to me Bitcoin under five minutes or can you send me a link to a video? Uh, it just drains me because... I know myself, it took me over 100 hours of trying to understand Bitcoin, trying to understand the bits of it, and not to articulate it, just to understand it on my own. And it took me 100 hours. And if you, people ask me for five-minute view to try to explain it to them, come on, give yourself a break. Yeah, but um, I hear that you're doing like a lot of um, activities in the digital spaces, which probably have like a lot of reach, but... Do you do also uh, things like podcasts or, well, okay, Spaces and Clubhouse is kind of like a podcast, but uh, physical meetings are like um, meetups, for example, where you meet once a month and uh, with like-minded Bitcoiners and, and advertise that. Is that something uh, you would consider? Well, actually, the space recently, most recently, Solio was taking care of a lot of uh, internet uh, meetups, so he couldn't talk about that more. But when it comes to live meetings, uh, I think a month ago, about a month and a half ago, we met up with Saifedin. We, we made a small uh, Bitcoin meeting, a uh, group of Bitcoiners. Uh, it was great. However, uh, personally, I'm not a person who likes to socialize face-to-face -face yet. Uh, I have my own reason, personal reason. I prefer not to. But... Um, I, I tried to do that a few times, but again, people are not that interested to meet up and talk about Bitcoin. They feel like it's kind of called or try to, to convince people in the Ponzi schemes. And whoever is already convinced in the Bitcoin, he doesn't need to go and talk about the Bitcoin. We just can chat on Spaces or, or Clubhouse or whatever kind of other place for Telegram, for example. 
since um, he mentioned Telegram, I was thinking like he doesn't want to mention it or something. So uh, Marco has, or the Bitcoin GG Ball has um, a Telegram channel, I don't know, 2,000 uh, members where a bunch of, there's so much ongoing and Marco had uh, developed this really cool bot on uh, Telegram where uh, it answers all your questions. It gives you all kind of information that you want from intro to uh, Bitcoin. The best um, papers, books, uh, podcasts, etc. And people ask a lot of questions, and they share news, and they wonder, and they challenge each other. Um, I think it's, it's a great channel educating the Lebanese community. Um, what How can I, people find it? Uh, it's on if uh, bitcoinjuliban.org. Uh, it's the website uh, on Marco's uh, profile, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, on his bio bitcoinjuliban.org, and you go to communities. Um, and you can join the the channel. And by the way, Marco is uh, working on a new website, so uh, yeah, it's just a, a matter of time to have a new one. Um, when it comes to meetups and podcasts, frankly, the the Corona times and what's been happening in Lebanon with the public unrest, etc., everyone is like worrying about even like transportation and going from place to place, uh, etc. And even sometimes. If you had uh, some politicians dining in a restaurant, you had uh, the activists coming, um, making a whole chaotic kind of kicking out the, the politicians from restaurants. So people are not really keen on going out much, even though you, you still find a big nightlife happening in Lebanon still with everything happening. So you have uh, Thomas. Thomas is a Lebanese Bitcoiner as well. He has his own podcast and the podcast is called, um, it's pronounced in Arabic, Allah podcast or the Citadel podcast of the self-sovereignty, self-sovereignty podcast. Um, he's uh, active on his podcast. Um, Eva invites um, different guests to discuss uh, Bitcoin in general and the Lebanese Bitcoiners in specific. Um, we have also Arabic Hodel. Uh, he's not Lebanese, but he also uh, founded um, a podcast called uh, Ahwet Satoshi or the Satoshi Cafe on all the um, uh, podcast platforms. And we've been meeting there and I see um, that we had some of the of the people that were with us, but it's an ongoing thing. Uh, it's not regular like weekly, but it happens every other week where we um, the podcast is about uh, Arabic's podcast, Arabic Huddle's podcast is about um, educational sessions that are released uh, weekly. But these meetups happen at least with a, with a person or two. So we are uh, either two or three where we have this casual meetup conversation and we try to discuss Bitcoin, uh, obviously. So this is what's really happening uh, on the meetup side. Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, check out Bitcoin du Liban, uh, Bitcoin and then D-U-L-I-B-A-N.org. Uh, it has a communities link, uh, multiple social media channels. I see Telegram, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, yeah, basically uh, anything that's out there. Only TikTok is missing. So, uh, <laughs> by the way, uh, so uh, Marco joined again, and I think he also logged there using uh, the Bitcoin Liban uh, account. So maybe, yeah, we can invite him back. Yeah, Marco is back on stage, and we also have Michael on stage. Welcome, Michael. Do you have a question or comment to make? Hey guys, yeah, I know we're coming up on time here at the end and great. And I have known Marco and Zuli on Twitter and uh, really appreciate both of their work uh, that they're doing, especially in Lebanon. Um, you know, just quick way of intro. My name is Michael Rihani, a product manager at Cash App here in the United States, uh, working at kind of Square, now known as Block. And 
Uh, I work on Bitcoin and I'm half Lebanese and I'm very passionate about helping in Lebanon. So uh, one, I just want to, uh, anybody can ping me on Twitter if, if there's ever anything I can do for you. Um, but my question for the folks here is, you know, if you could just wave a magic wand and change something in Lebanon, you know, especially relating to Bitcoin, like what, what would it be? We've talked about physical meetups. We've talked about podcasts. Uh, what else? What would you change? Michael, first off, uh, I'm really proud of your days back in Tesla, back to Cash App, all, all the way to Cash App. If I can think of one thing, is get Cash App functioning in Lebanon, accessing just like uh, Marco and I have been discussing, Bitcoin Lightning to stablecoin. So it's a on-ramp, off-ramp, so anyone can go use Lightning even if they don't have Bitcoin, like indirectly. That would that's that would be my magic of the wish to have. I would actually agree with 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 Sol and Ham, Michael. Uh, without being too magical and too mystic and coming and wishing for too many things, I think that we need an application, something like uh, PayPal or or something to do like Cash App or, of course, Bitcoin oriented. Because I really believe that people need to be uh, self-banked, but they will need to receive easily and seamlessly money from abroad. Because as we know, we have around 14 million of diaspora and, and uh, outside of Lebanon, uh, 14 million Lebanese living outside. Imagine just 5% of those people send 200, 300, $400 a month to, to their families. And those people can receive it just to their app. And if there is such an app or such uh, utility application that can be used at any store, that store can buy things and bypassing the bank of Lebanon, that would be an amazing weapon against the whole corruption. And, and I think that Lebanon will just get up on its feet and be self-serving once again in really short time. But the way we're going, we just keep bleeding and bleeding and bleeding, unfortunately. I appreciate that. I have one comment and one follow-up question. You know, my comment is, you know, as Suli mentioned, I used to work at Tesla. I also worked at Apple and Apple Pay for four years. And I legitimately think I had the best jobs, some of the best jobs in the world. And uh, now I fundamentally know I have the best job in the world. I get to work on Bitcoin at Cash App with Jack Dorsey as my CEO. You know, you follow him on Twitter, you can see how visionary and how clear and how focused he is. So, of course, that is very close to my heart. And I want to see that happen, too. So know that I wake up every day, you know, trying my best. And I think it's just a matter of time uh, that there will be better options in, in Lebanon. But so that's my commission as a follow up to is you mentioned stable coins and, and like on and off ramps with stable more directly. I mean, I've been trying to do research. Is that basically Tether or what else? And, and how would uh, that work? Like you mentioned, you mentioned a magic wand and I don't like Tether. So I'm not going to mention Tether since we're talking about magic. Uh, but I know like let's let's talk about um, our hosts like Galloway. Galloway is uh, the synthetic stablecoin. Now, if there is a way to, um, for a normal Lebanese that doesn't have Bitcoin, to have a wallet by which he can uh, cross through Lightning or do this exchange somehow, um, and this way they would be amazed by the cheap fees, but also the, the brilliant speed, and they would definitely wonder what just happened, I want a piece of that, etc. Um, I'm not really uh, adamant on the type of stablecoin as long as it's stablecoin. I mean, in, a, in, a, in an ideal world, to be on Bitcoin, okay? Because at the end of the day, it's a it's a it's a point of failure, uh, depending on another company, another product 
that no one knows what might happen in the yeah thanks for plugging in uh galloy here uh suli so um definitely check out the galloy money uh free and open source uh libraries on github um we had recently just made uh, usd over lightning working without a stable coin actually it's called a synthetic usd and uh, we showcased it at the lightning hack days in istanbul and um, yeah i mean obviously for us bitcoiners it seems like a feature that not be like super needed but for normal people who are just getting used to bitcoin the asset but uh, want to actually use the advantages of Bitcoin, the network, and especially the Lightning network with its very low fees and nearly instant settlement. Um, having that synthetic option uh, of, a, of a fiat currency that they perceive as stable um, is definitely um, yeah, making the journey towards Bitcoin easier and voluntary. They can always go back so um, to, to what they know and uh, slowly but surely uh, approach Bitcoin on their own terms. So definitely check that out. It's coming to the Bitcoin Beach wallet soon. And yeah, if you are a developer uh, from Lebanon or has Lebanon in his art and wants to help the people there, um, check out that repo. It's free and open source. Fork it, build a Bitcoin bank, uh, get it up and running. And um, and yeah, uh, let's hyper Bitcoinize uh, uh, all those inflation-ridden places. Uh, it seems like Lebanon is very fertile ground, uh, given that um, the creativeness of the people, the creativity in uh, countering, yeah, basically all the hardships of inflation with peer-to-peer -peer markets over social media and stuff. It might, it seems like reasonable they might adopt uh, quickly uh, such new technologies that might actually be sustainable. All right, I think we're a little bit over the hour. Uh, thank you a lot, everyone, for joining, Marco especially, and Suli, and also Michael, Tarek as well. Uh, thanks for the super interesting insights. Um, and next week, we are taking a week off um, and uh, for a company offsite and planning. We will be getting our heads together at Galois um, and planning and conspiring uh, how to get hyperbitcoinization about. And the following week, uh, March 31st, we'll have Brian Harrington uh, here at our next space uh, to talk about hashtag get on zero, uh, living on Bitcoin in the United States, uh, probably a little different than uh, in, United, in Lebanon, but uh, still. Um, yeah, that's it for today. Uh, thanks a lot and uh, have a good day, everyone. So Thank be you. before we jump before we jump off, I just want to do one more shout out and call out just here, uh, Galloway Money. Uh, you know, I, I went to El Salvador and Bitcoin Beach. I saw what you guys have built, and I'm I'm super proud and happy that you guys are doing what you're doing. And a uh, huge shout out to that. And also want to double click if there's any programmers, coders, people that want to build, especially using that Galloway Money uh, repo. Uh, let me know how I can help personally. You know, uh, if there's anything I can do. Um, ping me. I'm going to be in Lebanon later this year as well. So please uh, DM me and uh, just want to be a resource. So congrats and thank you for all you in the community and hosting these spaces. I'll be in more, more often. So really appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Michael. And with that said, we're out. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Later on. Thank you. Thanks, Mark.